James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 12. James writes, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we ask that you would sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. Would you use your word by the power of your spirit to refine and renew our minds and our hearts, expose to us any harmful way any thought or motive, any speech or action that is not in keeping with what you have revealed to us as your will for our lives. Help us to see the security, even in the midst of our sin and disobedience, the security that is ours in Christ because his righteousness and his obedience counts for us. But help us also to see, Father, that because you have justified us, declared us to be right, that you are already in the process of making us right so that we look more and more like our Savior Jesus Christ, even when it comes to the way that we speak and speak truthfully. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So, above all, brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or, by earth, or with any other oath, So you get called into Muskogee County Court as a witness to a crime. And they ask you to raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Do you plead a religious exemption? I'm sorry, I can't swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because the Scripture says I'm not to swear. You run a hard-fought campaign to become President of the United States. It's Inauguration Day. Crowds have been gathered. The Supreme Court Justice comes to you with some sort of a ceremonial Bible and begins to offer to you the oath of office. Do you become the first president because you're a devout Christian? Do you become the first, the first president in American history to say, sorry, I cannot take the oath of office because the Word of God says I cannot swear or make any other oath? Anyone? Or how about if you go further downstream? Is it okay for us to pledge allegiance? to the flag? Is it okay for us to exchange marriage vows? Right? All of these things seem to be swearing or oath-taking in some way, and this creates some sort of tension. As a matter of fact, there are certain traditions in the Anabaptist sort of wing of Protestantism 
uh, Mennonites and Amish, who because of a verse like this actually do that very thing. On religious conviction, they will not swear allegiance to a government, a country. They will not take any formal oaths in any sort of a civic way because Scripture prohibits them. I don't think that's necessarily what the Scriptures are teaching here. All right, so here's what we want to do. Ultimately, what James is driving at is that God's people are to be characterized in such a way that they simply say what they mean. They just simply speak the truth. It doesn't have to be fancy. doesn't have to be complicated or sophisticated. Just whatever it is that you say. Make sure that whatever you say, you're speaking truthfully and truthfully in such a way that everyone knows that if you say it, you believe it, and this counts as true. Right? That's what James is driving at. So what we're going to do, we're going to try to work, work our way, on the one hand, see sort of the trajectory of God working with his people in this um, idea or with this concept of truthfulness, all the way back in the Old Testament up to the time of Christ, and see that actually what James is doing here is actually building on or echoing, repeating really, repeating what Christ himself taught when he was going around preaching and teaching to the multitudes. And we're going to see that really what Jesus and James are both after here is, number one, to convince us of the fact that we are to speak with truthful simplicity. Number two, to remind us of the fact that any duplicitous speech, that is, double talk or vague or ambiguous speech, will be judged. And then, time permitting, we want to spend just a few moments to say, not only do we want to speak truth because that's what we're commanded to do in James 5.12, but also just because of salvation in general, the bigger picture of who we are in Christ compels us to be truth-speaking people. So just think with me, the way that this begins to work itself out or the way that this progression is made when it comes to truth-telling in the Scripture. Most of us, of course, would think automatically of the Ten Commandments, right? You will not lie, or you will not bear false witness against your neighbor. We can probably get even more specific than that. There is, within the Mosaic Law, commands like this. You don't need to turn there, but Leviticus 19.12 says, You will not swear falsely by my name so as to profane the name of your God. Did you hear that? You will not swear falsely by my name. So the issue is not swearing by God's name, invoking God's name in an oath that you take, but the fact that you would do so falsely as a cover to lie. That's borne out later in Deuteronomy 6, when the Lord says again, you shall fear only the Lord your God and you will worship him and swear by his name. Positively commanded, not just negatively, don't swear falsely, but when you do swear, swear on the name of the Lord your God. So how did, how did we go from don't swear falsely by the name of the Lord, swear on the name of the Lord to James, and as we'll see here in a moment, Jesus himself saying, don't swear at all. How did we get there? Well, what would be helpful would be to, to hold your place in James, 
and to go back to Matthew chapter 5. There are two places where Jesus addresses this very issue that sheds a lot of light. on this idea or on this teaching. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, and then we're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 23. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. So there it is, Jesus quoting the Old Testament. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil, or is of the evil one, depending on how your version reads. And then skip over later in Matthew to chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 through 22. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on the altar, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Do you see what's happened here? You, you, we move from the Old Testament where the Lord is saying, you swear by my name, but make sure that when you swear by my name that you not swear falsely. Why? So that God can promote truthfulness and honesty among his people. So that when his people enter into agreements or covenants or contractual obligations when they swear an oath and they do so on the name of the Lord himself the swearing of an oath is meant to instill confidence in the person that is hearing or receiving the oath it's meant to promote the truth it's meant to encourage faithfulness and trustworthiness by the time you get to Jesus in the gospel of Matthew they've just butchered this whole idea 
Apparently what has happened is they take very seriously the fact that the Lord has said, don't swear falsely by my name, and they say, okay, well, one way that we can work around that is to make sure that we're not swearing by God's name. So let's swear on other things, like let's swear by heaven or let's swear by the earth. But do you see what's going on there? Which is higher, heaven or earth? Heaven is. Which oath then becomes more valuable, the, the oath that is made on heaven or the oath that's made on earth? The heavenly swear or the heavenly oath becomes a more valuable swearing in than to swear by what's on the earth. Or do you swear by the temple or the gold on the temple? Do you see what's going on? So that now when someone begins to swear an oath, now the person who is listening, rather than saying, okay, this person is serious, I can trust what they're saying, I can believe, now they're having to cock their head a little bit and listen very closely to what's being said to figure out what system they're using to make this oath to determine how serious the speaker is to keep his word. Rather than promoting honesty or truthfulness, the sinful, corrupt nature of the human heart takes what is meant to be a good command for God's people, totally twists it and turns it around so that rather than promoting truthfulness, you're actually now trying to provide an opportunity for deceit. That's not what God intended. And so when Jesus comes, Jesus says, here's the true intention behind that command. Here is what the law has been pointing to. Here is what you find in me. That God desires a people for himself that are so truthful, that are so marked by integrity and by steadfastness and faithfulness to their word, that they do not need to make an oath or swear a promise. Merely by the utterance from their mouth, they can be counted on to be true and trustworthy. That's the kind of people that God is looking for and calling to Himself. Therefore, you ought to be the kind of people who do not need to give an oath, who do not need to swear or say, I promise or I vow. Just simply say what you mean and do what you say. That's what God is after. Could you imagine what it would be like if God were like us on this count? Let me phrase it more positively. Aren't you thankful that God is not like us? That when I go to His Word, I pick this up, and I say, there is not one word that God has given me that will fail. He will be true to every single word that He has spoken and declared. That when I go to His word and I read the promises of God, that when I read, I don't have to wonder or ask myself, now is this a first degree promise or is this a third degree promise? No, it's a promise. And because God has said it, it's going to happen. We look in the Scriptures and we see the fact 
that left to our flesh, left to our own nature, commands like James 5.12 are necessary because we cannot be trusted to tell the truth. We have to be told to be truthful. In contrast to God, who by nature is true and truthful. Listen just to some, just, just some of the statements that is made about the nature and character of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Do you hear that? One of the reasons that we can believe that God's word is true is simply because he's not human, because he is God, and that's part of what makes him God, the fact that he does not lie and does not change his mind. In Hebrews 6, talking about the fact that God trying to instill confidence in the recipients of the promise, thinking first and foremost about Abraham and the patriarchs, and then how that pertains to his people in the new covenant. He says that when he made promises to Abraham, that since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. By myself I have sworn, Genesis 22. Because you have done this thing, I will. And then later, he says, God added to that promise of blessing that would come to fruition in the person of Christ. He added to that promise, that swearing, an oath. The Lord has sworn an oath. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So the Hebrew says God does this in order to give us stronger confidence and hope in two things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Impossible for God to lie. Not just that he won't lie, but that he can't lie. And when you get towards the end of the Bible in Revelation and you're reading about the glories to come, you're reading and you're seeing that for all of the things that we have to be thankful for in the here and now, it pales in comparison to the thanks and the praise that will be ours when we finally are brought into full fellowship with our Savior and our King. We read things like, He who sits on the throne said... Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. So before we even get to personal application or to see the relevance of how this works its way out in our life at James 5.12, can we just pause for a second and just praise God for the fact that He is not like us? That He is utterly trustworthy and reliable and that He can no more lie and remain God than we can stop breathing and remain alive. God desires that His image bearers be like Him. 
If God is a truth teller, God desires that His people would be truth tellers too. If God speaks and every word that He says is true, simply, consistently, faithfully, He intends to shape us into the kinds of people who speak truth simply, consistently, and faithfully. When you're back in James, notice the negative motivation, if we can frame it that way, is that we're not to swear or to make oaths, that we're to simply let our yes be yes and our no be no, so that we may not fall under judgment. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Look very carefully. The statement does not even say that you will fall under judgment if you break your word. The statement is, do not make any oaths or swear so that you not fall under judgment. In other words, if you're the kind of person that the only way you can get someone to believe you or trust you is to amp up your language, to say things like, I swear on my mother's grave, or I swear on this, or I swear on that, or I'm, I'm serious this time, this time, right? If that's the kind of person you are, you're already convicted. The very fact that you have to speak like that, that you have to qualify what you say, is evidence of the fact that you don't speak the simple truth. And even if you promise and you say, I'm serious this time, or I swear on this, even if you keep that vow or commitment, you still only expose your own guilt because of the fact that the rest of the words that you spoke prior to this were not worth counting on. Just to put yourself in a position to live your life in such a way that no one can trust you unless you make some grand profession is itself already to fall short of the glory of God. And anyone that falls short of the glory of God is liable to judgment. So how simply and straightforwardly do you speak? Husbands, wives, does your spouse find it easy to believe what you tell them? When you say something to them, do they take it as being true, or are they confident that you will follow through on whatever commitment that you've made to them? Or do you have to bend over backwards to persuade them that they can trust you? If you have to bend over backward to convince your husband or your wife that they can trust you on this matter, you need to do some serious soul-searching.
Parents, do your children have confidence in what you tell them? When you tell them, we will do this or we will do that or we will go here or we will go there, or for that matter, we will not do this and we will not do that, do they find you to be true to your word? Go a step further. Parents, are you training your children to be simple truth-tellers? To let them know it doesn't matter what the world out there does or what the measure or the bar is for truthfulness. If you commit to something, you're going to follow through on your commitment. If you obligate yourself, if you volunteer for something, you're going to follow through on your volunteer service because you said you would. Right? So adults, young people, I said that I would, but nobody signed a contract. Is that what it's come to for God's people? You can only be counted on if you sign a contract. How do you do with your commitments? When you volunteer to help with the youth, or when you volunteer to help with this food drive, or when you volunteer to help with the nursery, like, oh, oh, Merritt, back off, buddy. Right? How do you, how do, you do? But not just, not just volunteering here, right? Anywhere in the office, are you known as trustworthy and reliable? Do you admire people and emulate people who speak the truth? Or do you find a certain fascination with people who play fast and loose with the truth in order to win whatever it is that they're after? Are you the kind of person that is described in Psalm 15 when the question is asked, who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may abide in his holy hill? And one of the answers is, he who swears to his own hurt. Do you keep your word even when it puts you in a difficult situation, even when it's not convenient? Are you that kind of truthful? Ultimately, at the end of the day, the reason that we are not more truthful, the reason that we don't speak more consistently or simply, is because of our hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you find that your words are not reliable and trustworthy, it's because your heart is not steadfast and settled in the truth of God. Psalm 51, you desire truth in the innermost being. So this gets to, ultimately, why we want to be people who speak the truth. We've been saved 
to live in and by the truth. Let me just give you a handful of reasons. Number one, first and foremost, we're disciples, we're followers of the one who declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. How can we follow a man who said, I am the very embodiment of truth and not have something of his life and character being reflected in us and give any kind of credible claim to being followers of Christ if we're not living and walking in truth as he did? It just doesn't add up. You know, another thing, I'd never thought about this until just thinking, studying, reflecting on this, on this verse for the week. Do you realize that although God Himself in the Old Testament is found swearing an oath and making promises to build the confidence of His people that they can trust Him, do you realize that in the Gospels Jesus never does that? I'd never thought about that, never considered that. Jesus never swears an oath. He just says, truly I say to you. And then it's up to you. You can either believe him or not believe him, but that's it. We're disciples of the one who claim to be the truth. We ought to be people who are marked out by the truth in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, in the way that we think, in the things that our hearts crave and chase after and love. Number two, another reason why we ought to be simple truth-tellers is because our life has been created, our new life, that is, our new life in Christ, has been created and is empowered by the Spirit of truth. So Jesus says in John 14, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So think for a minute. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And one of the ways that his disciples are going to be enabled to follow him and walk in the truth as Jesus himself is the truth, is because Jesus is going to give his spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, who himself is no less than the spirit of truth to dwell within them. If you belong to God, if you have been reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have the spirit of God living within you. That is how you came to your new birth. And if you have been made new according to the image of God in Christ, you have the Spirit of truth dwelling within you, giving you the ability to live more and more like Jesus Christ himself would live. Right? This is not, this is not you and I or us. This is not just sort of screwing up our effort, right? Gritting our teeth and saying, today I'm going to go out and I'm going to do my best, my hardest to go out and tell the truth. I mean, there is labor, there is diligence, we pursue that. But ultimately, because of Christ and because of His Spirit, what we begin to find as we commune with God is that this is who we've been created to be. 
We're just living out of the grace and the blessings that God has provided in His Son by His Spirit. And then last but not least, turn with me to Ephesians 4. It goes without saying, or it should go without saying, although we're saying it, that we ought to be simple truth-tellers because of the, the Savior that we follow, because of the Spirit who dwells within us, and ultimately because of the new nature that we've been given. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Skip down to verse 24. Put on the new self, or the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in, and then depending on your version, it, you might read something like, which has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, or which in the likeness of God has been created in true righteousness and holiness. So put on the new man, and then notice the very next verse after Paul says to put on the new man, that is, put your new nature on and live it out. What's the very next thing that he says in verse 25? Therefore, because we have put on a new nature in Christ, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Listen, if you step into the courtroom and have to be sworn in as a witness in a court case, that's okay. People don't know you. They don't know whether you're trustworthy or not. James 5.12 is not, is not prohibiting you from doing that. You can take an oath of office if you are elected president of the United States. You can exchange wedding vows. You can do all of those things. To communicate the solemnity and the weight, the gravity of an agreement or a commitment that you're making. But at the end of the day, when God's people gather together, when we enter into fellowship and communion with one another, because we enjoy fellowship with one another in our fellowship with God in Christ, we ought to know and recognize one another as being people who simply speak the truth. That we do not have to question if we mean something else. There is no subtext there is no passive aggressiveness. We're just simply saying what we mean to say. Because God is honored and Christ is glorified and the Spirit is shown to be at work when the people of God in fellowship with one another look more and more and sound increasingly like truthful people. Let's pray. And now, Father, what will we do but to plead for your mercy again? 
and to ask that you would forgive us for the ways in which we have used speech to manipulate the truth, to be deceptive rather than clear and direct. But we thank you that there is also forgiveness with you, that you may be feared, that you do not count our sins against us, that because of Christ, who himself was the embodiment of truth, all of his truthfulness counts for us, sinful, deceitful people that we are in our flesh. And we thank you and praise you that for all of those who have been reconciled to you, you are already in the work of conforming us into the image of Christ by the power of your Spirit. Do that, Father, among this congregation here at Edgewood, so that this place and these people, so that we would be known and recognized as people who love the truth, who seek the truth, and who speak the truth. Do it for your glory, we ask, and for our greater joy. Amen.